The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from The Other Side of Midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary. Based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment. Our desire, desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. Good evening and welcome to the other side of the news. Tonight is our 99th episode and the title of it is Grassroots Sovereignty. And our guest is Jeffrey Pickle. And, um, oh, I just had a cat fall off the shelf. Okay. So, exciting already. <laughs> anyway, um, so we have our, our guest is Jeffrey Pickerel. He's a lifelong political activist who is also a student of constitutional law and is now in the pursuit of a career in law enforcement. I believe in the sheriff's department, but we'll get into that. Um it is his belief that we are on the shore of new social paradigm and we are, that we are responsible for building. So tonight will be a very interesting discussion. So before we get there, I wanted to talk a little bit about a few things that are going on in the world. And it can only be a few because, my gosh, it, the, it's unbelievable all the things that are going on. I, I say that every week, but every week it, it's the torrent gets faster and, and stronger. So... Um, so I wanted to go over a few things that just kind of caught my eye in the last, you know, in the last few hours. Uh, there was a, a Senate Energy Committee hearing and the Interior Secretary, who in theory should be the one who's got their pulse, you know, has the pulse of the energy uh, sector for the uh, country going there. Uh, her name is Deb Haslin, and she was questioned in real time. Uh, about a press release shutting down the oil and gas exploration. And the secretary had absolutely no idea that that was happening. So you got to ask who's really making the decisions here and who's pulling all the ropes. And um, Lauren Boebert, who is a, a representative, uh, she said, if you take an oath to serve the American people, that doesn't include selling yourself to the World Economic Forum. America first means caring for the people of America and not trying to appease the rest of the world. And that would go for every country. Every country should be looking at that as, you know, keeping their sovereignty, which brings me to the 22nd of May, which is a day that is supposed to start the argument uh, about the, um, the, they're presenting arguments about the World Economic Forum uh, basically ceding all nationalities uh, sovereignty to the World Economic Forum. Now, there's two views of this. There's there's the view that uh, it's very serious, uh, and the European Union is you know looking at this, and it, it would cede sovereignty. And they they are especially vulnerable because they don't have the constitution that we have in America. We don't. There's a few more 
checks and balances. But the real issue here, and I don't think that, it, you know, it's, of course, legally they cannot do it. But we've watched them illegally push, you know, all kinds of things, including mandatory vaccines, which is never, ever, ever going to be legal. However, if you have the sheeple going along and they're just agreeing to everything, it becomes that. It's like the de facto uh, agreement that's going on here. So it's a very serious thing either way. And um, you, you need to contact your representatives and, and make some noise about all the things going on, whatever you choose. But, you know, really, don't just sit back and expect everyone else to do the work for you. Because this is all, we're all in this together as being on this planet. So I wanted to point this out because I saw this this uh, little uh, saying and I thought, well, this is really absolutely spot on. It says human beings are not biologically dependent on pharmaceutical products for survival. Pharmaceutical companies are financially dependent on human beings for survival. And that really sums it up, doesn't it? As far as that goes, I'm having a lot of cat problems over here. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about the noise. <laughs> um, so uh, this week has been just full of all kinds of things. I'll get to the, I'll get to the Durham stuff in a second. Cause I think that's really interesting, but I want to point out, I mean, even this week, so all of these things, uh, the truth is coming out faster and th things are being, um, uh, disproven faster and harder all over again. It's the, the military analyst on, um, MSNBC, who was a, uh, supposedly a four-star general or something like that. I don't remember, but, uh, he was caught posting fake war video games from the Ukraine. Meanwhile, people, the people in the Ukraine are, are surrendering left and right. Um, so it's, there's all kinds of stuff going out. Um, I did put some posts up on the Telegram channel for the other side of the news. Uh, some very interesting ones, some documentation about what's truly occurring over there. So, if, you know, I would recommend that if you're interested at all, that's a, a good starting point. So, uh, some of those... The one guy who's from YouTube, I don't know how he's still there, but he has excellent, uh, if you want to pursue it further, he has excellent videos and documents on his site. Um, so that brings me to the Durham report. And the Durham report, or the Durham trial, uh, it's not a report anymore, um, if, if you're not familiar, is it's probably the biggest thing we've got going. It is... Uh, right now, there, Michael Sussman, who is an attorney for... Uh, Hillary Clinton has been charged with only a single charge, which was lying to the FBI. And this has created a whole, the whole Russia, Russia, Russia conspiracy and all that, which has been disproven. So now we're seeing all this. The way I can best explain it is that we're biting or we're nibbling around the edges and then they'll, they'll just keep going further in. Uh, it's really interesting because he could bring multiple charges, but he's chosen not to. And last week, their emails that he was trying to keep um, sealed under uh, client attorney privilege, uh, they, those were seen in camera, which means in the judge's chambers. And they, uh, the judge said, you know, basically, you don't need to, you don't need all these because you already have a strong enough case without them, or you could bring additional charges. So fascinating. Uh, I don't know exactly what the approach is here. We know that DC is totally corrupt and that we've got a very corrupt uh, situation going there with the, the judge and jury, and it's, it's been well documented. So I don't know what is going to come out of this um, as far as how they're positioning it, but it's a, it's a rock-solid thing, and it leads to everything else. So, so if you haven't been following that, I really you know, find 
there's there's a lot of different things uh, that you can follow it through. But Christopher Steele created the dossier. Glenn Simpson sold it to the press. Michael Sussman, who's on trial right now, took it to the FBI. And the Democrats and the media lied to you about all of it. So that's the summary that you can, you know, if you want to understand anything about it, it leads to everybody and everything. So this is really a big deal. It started Monday. Um, I've been looking forward to this for two years, not knowing when it was going to happen. And it's finally happening. It's absolutely fantastic. So um, and then the last thing I'd like to to, to leave you with before I bring on uh, my co-hosts and and our guest is Uh, A quote from Thomas Jefferson. He was writing a letter to James Madison in 1787. It says, the people are the only sure reliance for the preservation of our liberty. And that's so true. So all of us need to stand up and stand up for ourselves. We are the thing that keeps our liberty in place. And that would be our sovereignty. And so tonight's show being grassroots sovereignty, we're going to discuss quite a bit about that. So, my co-host, uh, Timothy, is here, and uh, Cynthia is needing to take the evening off to deal with some family things. She will be back, and, uh, and then our guest is our wonderful Jeffrey Pickroll. So I'm going to start out, Jeffrey, with a question for you, because I've often tried to delineate the difference between this, and, it's a, and, and I, I think that you could do a great job doing this, and that is the question of... What is the difference in, and, and how are they different uh, from a republic, which is how our country is set up and many countries are set up, but are not operating this way, which is a republic. And as Timothy has pointed out, there's, you know, they, they like to use that term, you know, people's republic of republic of. Uh, and it's not in our, you know, not in the U.S. Uh, title of the country, but it is how our constitution is set up and what is the difference between that and democracy because they're always pushing the term democracy and we'll lose our democracy i mean um i i think i understand the evilness in that but uh you know we've been really subverted by a a misuse of this language or i you know it's intentional misuse but how would you explain that to someone Hi, uh, yeah, good evening, uh, Netta, and uh, you know, it's such a pleasure to be on the show again. Um, it's been many months, and um, I was delighted to hear from you and to have you ask about me coming on. Uh, as we spoke earlier, you know, things have taken a real turn. We're, we're really changing trajectory with, uh, with our strategies right now. Uh, as you said, it's a time of unprecedented disclosure, but and then always mixed with that disclosure of truth is all this disinformation and misinformation. Um, so we really have to stay uh, very vigilant right now. Um, the question that you pose is really an important one. And we do hear this word democracy being thrown around as, you know, what we're trying to spread, you know, by starting these illegal wars um, and, you know, really stealing resources from, from countries around the world. And, you know, what is the nature of our system of government? So democracy, the word itself really is derived, it's a Greek word, right? And when we look at the Greek society, this was kind of the first experiment with real democracy um, that very quickly was shown that, well, you know, the rule of the people and the idea that government derives its just powers from the consent of the governed 
was a shift in paradigm because up to that point, the divine right of kings said, well, no, you know, all the authority rests with the king and um, the people have to submit. This is a very, to turn the whole thing upside down and said, no, the sovereignty, we talked about this word sovereignty, what does that mean? The right of rule resides with the people. So pure democracy is the idea that, you know, that the majority rules and in that case, as it plays out, it's very easy to deceive uh, the general public, as we've seen in the last couple of years, really clearly. And so this idea of a republic is that we elect competent people to these positions of power. And we do this really important thing. We delegate power to them. We delegate that sovereignty. We say, OK, we're going to give you this power that's limited and enumerated, and you are you are in office to exercise our will. And if you don't do that, then we're going to take you out of office. And we have, you know, installed all these other rights of redress and checks and balances in order to safeguard that that power won't be abused. Um, and that is the nature of a republic. That's how it was set up to be. Um, fortunately for us, you know, we have preserved the right to bear arms, and that is our last uh holdout and the one that hasn't been been violated in these last couple of years interestingly so we have this kind of very interesting power standoff in the united states now but when they use that word democracy you can almost equate it with communism uh because communism is a sense that that rule of the people unbridled by uh this sort of checks and balances and a total concentration of power and that's the big danger when you when you have most people uh, delegating their power to another authority with no checks and balances, that's when we have tyranny. And that's when people have surrendered sovereignty. We're looking at surrender of national sovereignty, which is collective um, sovereignty. And uh, ultimately, it's going to only end one way. The people have to reclaim the power. So that, I think, is a really important distinction to make. We live in a democratic republic and not just pure democracy. That's what I would say. Okay, so the way I've always described it is it's the mob rule. And, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, 51% is, is the majority. So if 51% of the population says, we want this, this isn't talking about the representation, but like, for example, what we're seeing right now, I mean, I believe these are artificial numbers and stuff, but... You know, there's a lot of things going on in this country right now that says, oh, the, the majority of the people want it this way. Uh, you know, where does this play in with, with the mob rule um, idea and the politicians? Cause, and also, at the same time, I mean, this might be part of that answer, is when we see what we've got here, which is representatives totally abusing the power. For example, uh, passing the $40 billion to go to Ukraine, and yet the $48 billion to bail uh, small businesses out of bankruptcy from being forced to be closed for the pandemic, that did not pass. And we know where the money from the Ukraine is not going to the Ukrainian people, now is it? So so that that looks like mob rule to me. But can you can you go a little further into that? Yeah, yeah, I think you're you're spot on with that. The idea we can look at the Re Russian Revolution um, and also the wave of revolutions that happened across Europe. Um, 
that was a, that were direct overthrows of sovereign uh, kings and queens. In the case of Russia, it was the czar. But the Bolsheviks were that was that kind of mob rule, and unavoidably that power uh, of the mob was manipulated by oligarchs. And uh, the will of the people ultimately was not exercised. So I think we're looking at the same thing here. You know, we've got these few oligarchs that are in power that can strongly influence public opinion. And then mob rule throws all rule of law right out the window. So then, our, you know, and, and up until now, the checks and balances that we try to exercise have not been very effective. But I think that's that is very much what we're looking at. And um, the difference, I think, with with the republic is that we we divide the powers and sort of pit them against one another so that there can be no concentration of power like that. And that is what, to me, the rule of law means. Okay, I get that. Now, if if we're talking about the United States, and I do want to get into other other countries, because there, there are other countries in the world, believe it or not, right? <laughs> uh, um, and, and also, I want to talk about why this country is being targeted like it is, but uh, I, you know, we have this idea and, and I think there's Americans that, that don't really get what this means with this. Um, but we have republics like the Republic of California, whether it's legit or not, that's in question. But let's just say that it is for for sake of argument here. So we have these republics, which are basically uh, my understanding from my studies. And I know you studied the Constitution and uh that the that we are a sovereign um, nation states. In other words, each one of these is is a nation, each state. Now, um, and they're supposed to be republics. And so, and then we have a confederation, which actually it was originally the Articles of Confederation that brought the United States together to be united as separate nations in agreement. So, I mean, I'm probably butchering that a bit. So we have we have this kind of odd uh, understanding of it, kind of thinking that, but then we've had this overtaking, this overthrowing of the government where it's coming in and it's basically, it's for way past its enumerated, in the Constitution, the federal government has 18 enumerated powers. Uh, I think we're past 18 by quite a bit. Um, and so we, ha- we have a situation where we've got these, We've got a population that's convinced that the federal government has all the power and then they dole a little out to the states and then and then, you know, that comes down to the counties and then, you know, there's municipalities and then there's the people way down at the bottom and our founding fathers. And I believe this is any republic. uh, We're thinking quite the opposite and, in fact, set this up for the the other way around. Uh, Am I correct in, in that first part? Yes, in fact, um, Chris Ann Hall does a wonderful presentation on this. Uh, if you don't know her, she's a constitutional lawyer from Florida uh, who's been teaching constitutional law for some time now, uh, probably 15 years, uh, if not more. And uh, what she explains is that, no, the way that the Constitution, from a legal standpoint, works is that the sovereignty resides with the people. And actually, mm-hmm. that statement comes from the Declaration of Independence, which is also a founding document. So mm-hmm. this idea that the just powers of the of, of government are derived from um, the consent of the people. So the people are the sovereign. They're the top. And then the states were formed as a result of the will of those people. So they are next in line 
and uh, and then ultimately the Confederation or you know the United States were formed as a result of those individual sovereign governments coming together and making a compact, and again ceding some of their powers to that federal government, but doing so as the sovereign of that contract. And in fact, uh, the government that was created as a result of that contract, which was the federal government, is not a party to the contract. And I think that's a very important point. They, the federal government did not create the Constitution. The states did. Uh-huh. And that's a really important distinction to understand as we unravel this mess of uh, abuse, abuse of government. Well, we've had a really good example because we've got this Roe versus Wade thing happening, which, by the way, for everyone, that's an opinion. That is not a ruling. And what they're saying in the opinion is they want to give the decision uh, about what states, uh, you know, the abortion rights per state. In other words, give it back to the states, which should have never been taken away. And there's a whole bunch of wonderful stuff that's been written about that, about how that works. Um, but I, I am... Mm, I, I, I find it fascinating timing that we're having this come up right at the same time that all of this other is coming up. Uh, do you, how do you, how do you read that? I, I read that as a positive thing that that's, I mean, maybe some would say it's coincidental. I don't think so, but whatever. Uh, we've got this situation where we, where we have states that are, uh, it's showing that the states should have never given their sovereignty uh, over to the federal government. I don't think they gave it. I think it was taken. <laughs> uh, I mean, the federal government has just done nothing but grow and grow and grow, right? Forever. It, 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 my, my dad used to say, yeah, they, they always grow and they never shrink. It's like, you know, you can put on weight but never lose it. Um, uh, you know, well, that's right. You, cre- you create another agency and it never goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, every agency that's created fights for its own survival and in fact, its own expansion, because if it doesn't continue to grow, you know, uh, so this is, this is, you know, where we've arrived. Um, and I think the Roe versus Wade question has come up is not a coincidence by any means. Uh, I think looking deeper into the question of like, what, what did that decision ultimately establish? And the question was, was medical privacy, um, and as I understand it. So, yes, do I think that bringing up Roe versus Wade and the repeal of Roe versus Wade is a challenge to state sovereignty? I absolutely do. Um, it, and again, not a coincidence, it's happening at the same time that the WHO is attempting to um, usurp national sovereignty from every nation on the planet. Um, this has been happening slowly. There's been an erosion that has gradually handed over governmental powers to these regulatory agencies and health officers who are unelected. So therefore the checks and balances don't work. And, you know, up until now, the elected officials have had some kind of plausible deniability to give away that sovereignty. But we're now pursuing it in the courts of law. We've had some small victories, but it's been challenging. It's slow going. Um, but we're holding out hope that, that ultimately we're going to win some landmark cases in local courts, superior courts, uh, and ultimately the Supreme Court of, of individual states to reclaim that. Um, and it could be that this Roe versus Wade question kicks off a much larger debate about state sovereignty, and I hope it does. 
I do too. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a couple different viewpoints on that right now. Uh, I think that's certainly a possibility. There's, there's other people that say, oh, there's, there's a bigger case going on that's covering it up. Some people say it's being used to, you know, try to start riots. I mean, there's all these different theories, but the bottom line is, is that the opinion is about states' rights and, uh, you know, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've said to people, you know, we, if you look at it like a pie, right? It, I know maybe this isn't the best analogy, but if you look at it as a pie and we have a whole pie and we, we give a, a little sliver of that pie, we seed some of our sovereignty to the county and then to that, and then that goes to that state. So uh, we have um, the, and that's interesting. I want to get into this. Uh, we're, we've only got five minutes to the break, so we'll have to come back. And I'm sure um, Timothy will want to ask some questions soon, too. But, you know, uh, it, per, per county, we have the highest, uh, the, the person who has the most power is actually the sheriff, which is interesting because, and that makes sense because the people cede some of that sovereignty to the county, then to the stat, out of that little sliver of pie, then there comes the state. And then out of that little sliver of pie is the, the federal. So that's that's where it comes from. It doesn't come the other way. It doesn't come from the federal. And then we, we you know, don some, uh, you know, you, you get voting rights. No, 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 no. We were, we were sovereign to start with. And when we're talking about our rights under the Constitution, there was no question about that. We were just born with those. That's how it came. So... Uh, when we're looking at this Roe versus Wade thing, I do think I, I'm hoping and I do think that the whole thing is to bring up this idea of the, um, the, the rights of the states. And it's interesting because for the first time, besides some nerdy person like myself, I'm actually hearing people talking about the Articles of Confederation. And maybe after the break, we can come back to that because uh, that's another big topic. But, you know, the Articles of Confederation uh, they then the um, Constitution came from that. There's some question about the validity of it and how it was brought in and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we we have this background, and I think we're maybe going through uh, an, a re-education process, and it is not a mistake that we've been uh, miseducated and uneducated. I have never seen anyone who isn't in shock when they find out that taking constitutional law in law school is optional. <laughs> That's amazing. Like you don't have to take anything on constitutional law if you're studying to be an attorney, but I guess not because it's, you know, we have the, uh, what is it? The, the bar British accreditation. Oh, I can't remember the last part of that. Somebody can help me with that register registry. Um, you know that that's not that that's that's not taking your oath to anything in the American Constitution now, is it? That's taking your oath to the Crown. So we have a big problem. Hmm? <laughs> Absolutely, and you know, uh, on top of the the lawyers not being educated on the Constitution, we have elected officials, and yes, even police who have never read the Constitution, and yet they've sworn an oath to defend it. So hopefully we can get that changed where uh, some level of basic competence in the Constitution is required in order to take an oath to that Constitution. I would like to see that day. Yeah, and then after the break, I think we want to get into a little bit about the, the worldwide view of this because uh, there's different uh, different views around the world, but I know um, 
Timothy's in Turkey. He, he's a, you know, he's, he's a British expat that lives in Turkey and they have, I've, I've heard uh, from many people, one of the strongest constitutions that was based on our constitution, but it's one of the stronger constitutions, if not the strongest next to the U S constitution in the world. So it'll be interesting to hear how that's playing out over there. Um, what's going on. So we are right on top of the break and I think we're going to go out and then come back and discuss some of these things in more detail. So Keith, can you take us out? A long time ago, there seems to have been an intervention, not creation, but an intervention of another species in the universe like us, and they have intervened in our affairs. They are not from here, but they are able to dominate the planet. They have come here pushing themselves into our life and our country and our earth and they have been able to dominate the planet. And so we look to them to lead us. The point being is that they are our leaders. They're far superior to us in intelligence so they can act like they are our leaders and we believe them. And therefore, we are accepting their way of life and they have guided us through the, all the millenniums of, of the time in which man has been on the earth. We've been led by them. And I believe that they are profoundly evil, but have been leading us knowing that we do not understand what's going on and they're getting ready to plan to use us. And so that's what our politicians are all about. Mm -hmm. That's what politics is all about. That's what science is all about, our medicine. All of these people are not, as far as I'm concerned, are not human. They are extraterrestrial in origin. They are biological entities but they are leading us. They are able to inculcate ideas and belief systems into the human race and we just accept it without thinking about where they come from. And that's why we are in the trouble we're in today because now it's finally beginning to look like we've been planned and this has been planned for a long time to put us into a position to become slaves to them. And we are slaves to our masters. There's no doubt about that. Hello, this is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Other Side of the News. And welcome back. You're listening to The Other Side of the News. My name is Timothy Saunders, and together with Annette Driscoll, we are delighted to have our guest, Jeffrey Pickerel. And our show is entitled Grassroots Sovereignty. So you guys have made quite a quite an impact at the beginning of the show. I've been listening intently. 
Jeffrey, may I ask you a little bit about your background just before we go back to the same point, just, just to give some context. Where did you first decide that uh, perhaps the democracy that you're living in is not quite as you had thought it was? Where did the, uh, where did the car leave the road in terms of the bump? Where did you, when was it in your career or lifespan that you, you realized that you started rising up, but you didn't come down again after the bump? Thank you so much, Timothy, for the uh, question. And uh, yeah, I grew up in a, you know, middle class family and, you know, very wholesome, you know, Midwestern town. And um, I reached about the age of, oh, God, 12. And I was old enough to start reading the newspaper. And I remember I started reading the local newspaper and my dad came up to me. He said, hey, you know, Jeff, I want you to know if you're going to read the newspaper, just because it's written in there, don't believe it. Look into it yourself. And it, a, a light bulb turned on for me. I realized, wow, so many people take this as just the truth when they could just lie. So as I started to question then the reality that was being offered to me, especially when it was being offered forcefully, um, I started to question kind of what, what I watched through the 80s, uh, the corporate buyouts, everything, the consolidation of power that happened under the Reagan administration, the so-called spreading of democracy through adventure warfare that had happened since Vietnam, and um, the erosion of not only our liberties, but our values in our culture. And so, you know, gradually watching the action of the government uh, go against the will of the people. And I knew that was wrong. And I knew that they could hand out rewards, money, you know, easy mortgages, all these gateways to, you know, the awesome life. And a lot of people will overlook, you know, the indiscretions of, of government. And that's what happened. Um, so really, I'd say that the sovereign, the people really fell asleep at the wheel and that the state representatives also fell asleep at the wheel largely. Um, so that began, you know, a. Uh, uh, in my teens, I started to do activism against the drug war, specifically against cannabis, which, you know, ended pretty victoriously. It took a long time. But uh, then in these last two years, actually in 2012, um, with the Barack Obama administration, I saw, again, that really powerful consolidation of power. I knew that he was a constitutional scholar and that he was acting in direct violation of that constitution. And something was really, really wrong. So I kind of took the deep dive, started studying the Constitution, started understanding uh, what sovereignty meant and uh, trying to get a sense of how we had gotten off track. Uh, when in that process, I discovered uh, Sheriff Richard Mack and his work. And, and when I did some homework and found out the victory that he had won against the Clinton administration regarding the Brady bill. And Sheriff Mack was the sheriff in a rural County in Utah. Um, he was told that he had to enforce the Brady bill. And he said, well, no, that's in violation of, I cannot enforce this law and fulfill my oath to the constitution. And he took it all the way to the Supreme court and he won. And so that precedent, um, proved that the sheriff is actually the uh, chief law enforcement officer, and there's an abbreviation for it, CLEO, that that legal decision referred to him as, which means chief law enforcement officer, period. Uh, that means that the sheriff is 
in his county has authority over even federal officers who might come. Now, this is a big, big, big deal when you unravel it all, because it says that the sheriff acting, as Annette was saying earlier, as an agent of the people and the sovereignty of the people has the, has the ultimate authority of this county. So by using that principle, that's, I think, how we can, in a grassroots way, overthrow this top-down um, tyranny that's being forced on us. So anyway, that's, that, that's my history. And now I'm, I'm in it for real. Uh, last two years have been very politically active, seeing what's going on, and now um, am, am going towards um, a run for sheriff. Um, which I have to go through the police academy and work as a deputy for a couple of years. It looks like that door might be opening. And uh, that's my goal um, is to bring the Constitution back into law enforcement. That, that's absolutely fascinating. So, I mean, let me just ask the obvious question is that you don't seem to be following a the, the normal mental trajectory that most people do. I would imagine that enter the, the police academy. So you, you clearly have a, a goal uh, you have uh, that is to sort of empower the people, I guess, or, or to, to um, from grassroots up, redistribute the people. I mean, if, would you agree that that's a way to describe your, your goal? I'm sure you have a better way. Yeah, I think it's good. But, but, but I think we don't want to overlook, even though, Many of these, most of these police agencies, including the sheriffs, have been negligent in upholding constitutional rights in this last two years. There are many members among them that are not happy about this. And I've got a little inf- insider information. Uh, because we've been doing political advocacy in Marin County, we got an opportunity to advocate for the first responders, including the deputies who were being mandated the shot, who didn't, many of them didn't want it. And, uh, in that process, we got to see just how many, you know, pretty large number in Marin County that absolutely refused. said that they would move, quit, or that there was no way that they were going to take the shot. And uh, so I said, okay, well, this is good. And then, you know, as you do some looking around the state, there have been actually several sheriffs in California that have stood up for constitutional rights uh, and, and county sovereignty. And one of those sheriffs is in Solano County, um, kind of a more agricultural county near the bay area kind of technically in the bay area but getting into the central valley and uh, that is the sheriff for whom i'd like to work for the next two years before i actually make a run for sheriff in probably another county where i think you know it, gosh if you go to marin county run for sheriff and win uh, i already know that there are at least 40 of those deputies that would be behind me all the way. <laughs> so, uh, so that's my, that's my goal there is to, is to start with someone, you know, working under someone that I already respect who has performed their constitutional duty in the last two years, especially, uh, and then to really try to move into that position to be that guy. Um, well, because county by county, we can, we can take the state back. I, I guess that's what I'm asking is, is that, you're very overtly sharing your views and your views, okay, are maybe uh, more common within within the, uh, the police force than perhaps I'd really thought. I, I must have been, I, I had the idea that uh, you're sort of looking in a fresh perspective on, you know, the, the real meanings behind uh, sovereignty, whereas perhaps people may you know, quite naturally just get processed along through the system 
and suddenly find themselves uh, as a sheriff without having necessarily even studied the constitution, as you just pointed out earlier. So, I mean, you're, you're very clearly overtly going forward and your, your career intent is there. So, I mean, how are you being welcomed by other people around you? You just mentioned like 40% of the people are sort of behind you. What about the 60%? Well, that indeed is a good question. I agree with you, Timothy. I'm going to have to take those steps gently, uh, walking into the police academy even, um, about you know how loud I am about my position. What I'm going to start with is simple policy. You know, What is it that we are agreeing to to become a police officer? Oh, the Constitution. Oh, okay, great. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the, what that means. Okay, how do, we, how do we do that in the present-day situation? You know, how do we exercise that constitutional authority and constitutional responsibility? And so I think that's the approach that I'm going to take is by being the inquisitive student. And then once I'm through the academy and, you know, we'll feel things out. But I, I, again, we'll just come back to, OK, what are our founding documents here? You know, what is the reason we're doing this? Uh, if anybody really wants to argue uh, with me. So, uh, so, you know, I've learned how to take a pretty diplomatic approach um, and to come in with a more or less humble attitude, you know, but but very clear about about where I stand and why I'm even doing this. Why why am I even interested in entering law enforcement? It's not for the retirement package, which is pretty good. But I mean, you know. Yeah, well, it's uh, I'm just trying to think that during the the, the, the COVID times, the earlier COVID times, I, I'm sorry, Annette, maybe uh, you can remember, but there was a sheriff uh, who we were hoping to to get on to our show, actually. He, he was uh, somebody who... It was probably sorry, Sheriff Mack. Probably it was Sheriff Mack. Richard Mack, I think, yeah. And, and it looks like he had a landslide win specifically because he was... Uh, being direct, adhering to the Constitution, and, and so on and so on. So it shows that there is absolute will there. It's just a question of how do you gain confidence, and I guess, as you say, tread sort of diplomatic steps to travel transparently, but also to say, well, this is the Constitution. So maybe it's just a pure lack of awareness So it, in on, on the public's part. So in, in normal education system um, in the U.S., I have no idea because I, I didn't school there, but... Uh, what, how do people actually deal with the Constitution? Are you taught verse for verse, or are you told it's, this is what it is, and uh, these are the people who who were involved, and and this is how it's you know, revered and celebrated? But is you know to celebrate something has no or or very little correlation with actually understanding it. So in the normal what I'm trying to say in the normal education system, how how are you taught about the Constitution? Okay, well, again, I, I think I touched on that. I, I grew up in the Midwest, you know, in Indiana during the 70s and 80s was when I was in school. And at that time, they still taught critical reasoning and they still taught government and econ where they taught the Constitution. What I learned was, um, you know, the different sections of the Constitution you know, what they were composed of and basically what the foundation of our government was. And I had a pretty good understanding of that from from that school education. Now, I after that, in the 80s, in the kids who came up later, 
happy. I don't. I think they learned less and less. I think government and econ was no longer a requirement. Uh, critical reasoning was not taught anymore. Um, so I think it changed really kind of right after my generation, uh, especially in places like New York, California, all these, you know, uh, very so-called progressive places. But in places like Indiana, I think it was much slower, um, I, that, that shift. I can add to that a little bit, Timothy, is that I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, I grew up in Ohio. And uh, I am, I think, the same age. And uh, we did not get as much. I remember we had mock elections. We learned about the electoral process, things like that. Uh, we didn't, I mean, I learned about a little bit about the Constitution, but really nothing worth talking about. And by that time, uh, civics class had been turned into social studies, which should give you a clue uh, what, what was going on there. And um, we didn't have any critical thinking. Luckily, I had my father. But, yeah, we didn't have any critical thinking class. So it's, it's not the same across the board. And I think, like, what I've uh, heard from, you know, both Jeff and Jeffrey and I live out in California now, but uh, there was much less of it out here. And I think in the more liberal states, it's like nothing. <laughs> so no education. I see. So that's what I'm trying to say. Everyone says, oh, yes, I know about the Constitution. I, you know, I know when it's celebrated. I know how it happened. But there, very few people actually have an awareness or, or an understanding of what it actually means. I'm saying gen, in general, you know, take a section three people walking down the street. Is that a fair assumption? Oh, yeah, I'd say so, wouldn't you, Jeffrey? I mean, uh I absolutely do. And this yeah. is a uh, part of the, I'm going to put in a little plug right now for Renette Seenum. She's now running for governor of California. And uh, so I think when we talk about the constitution, we have to understand what the origin of it was. And as you said, Renetta, that there's some question about how it was brought in after the articles of confederation. Um, there's considerable evidence that points to the founding fathers using the Iroquois great law of peace which is fundamentally their constitution, um, as a model for the constitution. But there were a couple things that were left out. And this is what Renette Seenum talks about. Her campaign is based on the seven generations principle, uh, which is from the Iroquois Great Law of Peace, the idea that all decisions we make as a society have to take into consideration the next seven generations uh, and using drawing from the wisdom of the previous seven generations. Um, so the, all the different components of separation of powers and all these things were contained in that law of peace, but there were two things that were left out by the founding fathers. And one of those was the Council of Women. And then when the function of the Council of Women and elders was that they had the veto power over any acts of war, any acts of aggression. Uh, that council obviously doesn't exist. And now we've got a war machine that's completely out of control. Uh, and the other piece that was left out was, was the elders, you know, that, that we're not drawing from the wisdom of previous generations, uh, in order to better inform, um, our system of government. And so we have lost touch with this idea that the people are the sovereign and you're right. I mean, we have to do a whole re-education of that idea because that, that was the foundation of the Iroquois law of peace. And um, the founding fathers adopted it. But as I said, I think they abridged it to where we don't have the full uh, pattern in play yet. And my hope is that we can get 
Renette elected, and that we can start to kind of move the needle that way in terms of our republic here in California. You know, it's a high hope, but but we got to go for something. There's some interesting stuff that's going on in California, actually. The uh, the new California state, um, newcaliforniastate.com, I think it is. I could look it up. But uh, they're, they're talking about all of this and going back to the Republic, and, and uh, they've actually, and they're working with the sheriffs to do so. So this is, this is really, um, for those of you that are international, this is very interesting because uh, the, these same uh, organic laws, so that would be the, the natural law, uh, you know, the God's law, law of nature, and then the constitutions and then the treaties, those laws um, are the basis of what goes on around the world. And one of the reasons that the United States is so targeted is that we're very hard to take down because of this constitution. We can keep going back to it. And although it's slow, the, the judicial stuff is slow. Uh, for example, with the, the man, mandated um, you know, lethal injections, those uh, were obviously unconstitutional. It's taken a while to, to unravel this. But ultimately what we're seeing here is the constitution is being um, upheld and we are having all these things roll back. The problem is, is that if the people uh, go along with it, we have a much harder time. If everyone at the beginning, for example, uh, would have refused to wear a mask or said this, you know, this, this jab is garbage or, you know, any of those things, we could, we could avoid this. But the problem is, is the lack of education about what we really have at our disposal, all these rights that we do have that we just we're just ceding to the government because uh, out of ignorance. So, and, and that, I think that's true around the world um, uh, to a different degree, depending on on the kind of constitutional uh, protection that the countries have. Like I said, I think Turkey uh, is is held up as one of the better constitutions in the world. Um, as is Belize, uh, interestingly enough. So, <laughs> Well, I remember we had a, a guest many moons ago that was saying that Turkey is one of the more, more robust ones, one of the more fair constitutions, but I, I can honestly say I, I don't know a great deal about it, I have to say, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, which is, again, totally typical of what I've just been saying about uh, Americans not being up to speed with their constitution. Um, but at least both of those are written. Um, in the UK, I understand that there is uh, an unwritten constitution, a verbal constitution. So, or it's not verbal, it's not the correct way of talking about it. But I mean, that means it's open to interpretation mm -hmm. in in the context that uh, that suits the people trying to change it or interpret it, <laughs> which is interesting. Well, you know, we have kind of a... a the corollary situation in Canada, where we have uh, a constitution that was the same as in the UK, uh, and then it was uh, written, um, what, what's it called? I'm, I'm pulling a blank here. Um, the Charter of Rights. Uh, and, you know, it was it was basically up to interpretation. Then they, they put it in a more solid form. In, I think it was 1946. I'm not Canadian, so excuse me if I'm saying the wrong thing. This is not my area. But I believe it was 1946. And um, 
but they never ratified it. <laughs> so there's there's these different uh, statuses of, of constitutional rights and what people have and don't have all over the place, and people don't know. Uh, like, for example, if you ask the uh, a normal Canadian, uh, do you have a constitution, they'll tell you, yes, we have the charter you know, of rights. But if you ask them if it if it's uh, ratified and official, they'll tell you most likely that it is and it's not. So we, you know, the cabal has done a, a really fantastic job of keeping us ignorant of, of our rights. I think this is the basis of our problem right now. Which I, which I think boomerangs us back right back to the point you made in the uh, opening, Annette, and that is the WHO is now uh, basically, looking to do, go for a total, total to control. Uh, uh, what can I say? Theft. I mean, burglary is <laughs> these are strong <laughs> words, but I mean, it, it's in plain sight. But people yeah. don't seem to be aware of what's happening. And and as as we we're talking earlier, the the EU, the WHO's attempt to uh, bring this treaty into EU, can technically lead a backdoor into into domination. Of, of, of the EU, um, whereas, as you say, in the United States, there are more filters or more uh, safety catches to sort of take off before the, the, the bullets shot. Well, so, and then there and there are the bullets, right? <laughs> I mean, we still have a Second Amendment here, which most countries don't, and I I firmly believe that's one that's that's one of the reasons we are not being treated the same because you know. Uh, as a good red-blooded American, I just assume blow your head off is how as agree to some of this stuff, right? I'll just tell you. So, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And I think what I think we're arriving at is a realization that, you know, with freedom comes responsibility. We can say that, but that responsibility is the responsibility of governance. So, you know, you hear everybody say, oh, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to learn about government. I don't have time to show up at board meetings. I don't have time... Well, guess what? Those people are your employees. And if you don't watch them, they're going to cheat you. And that's what they've been doing. And so, you know, I try to say to people, guess what? You don't have time not to get involved. You know, this is your society. This is your community. You start in your community with your county officials. And you do have a say in, in how not only, you know, life in your county goes, but in our whole country and really ultimately our world. Absolutely. Well. So we are, we have about five minutes, and so I don't want to take on a deep topic, uh, like go go deep, deep here. But um, well, let's talk a little bit about this. You know, we, we've ta- we've we've mentioned this the the who, and and that whole thing, and the ceding of sovereignty uh, over to these organizations. Uh, and what you know, what is it that you see that people can do? I mean, I have my ideas, but what are you suggesting that people can start to take responsibility and do something about this. I mean, this is like really bad news, right? There, there's different views on that, whether it's real or not, but whatever. Let's just say it is for the sake of argument here. What would you suggest people do to, to take that into their own hands? California is a unique situation. Um, we have perhaps the most tyrannical governor here. And yet, other than, you know, the coastal regions, you've got a very conservative populace uh, really in this state and, and a fiercely independent people. You know, we have the values that have defined California are opposed to everything that's been happening these last two years. So 
I feel like the battle is county by county. We've, we've talked about, I've talked to leaders of counties, leaders of groups and counties all over the state. And we all know that we have to beat this county by county. So what I tell people is get involved at your county level. There's a lot, you know, what can you do? Well, take a look at what people are already doing. You got moms all over the place that are, that are standing up to their school boards that are standing up to elected officials that are challenging things in court. They're suing and winning. Uh, they're doing basically everything that they can and, and educating the public. Um, so you don't have to go very far. You know, you don't have to go to Sacramento or Washington or any of that. You start with the community that you're in and look at what people are already doing and join the effort because it, it is underway in every single county I've been in, you know, to some degree. So that, mm-hmm. that's what I say to people. Well, and I, and I would add to that, like on our on our federal level for our both state and federal level with our senators and representatives, they are our representatives, whether they're doing a good job or not. It's another story. But uh, people say, well, you know, if I call, it's just like it doesn't do any good. Well, let me tell you, if 100,000 people call or write emails, it does do good or even 100 people. I mean, every single one of those adds to that count. So don't ever think that. It's kind of like the idea that your vote doesn't count. Well, we found out through this uh, process that it actually, you know, if it was fair and free, and we're working on that, we've got a real situation there, but, you know, every vote does count. I, I used to be a, um, a presiding judge for the, you know, at elections way back, like when I was like, when I was like 20 or something. Uh, and I noticed that yeah, many times, whether that precinct went one direction or another, it was down to one or two votes. Many, many times. So uh, if you add that up, and those precincts are, are blocks. And uh, so anyway, that that's very important. Each each one of those, uh, each thing that you do, each person, every little piece is counting for, for what we're doing now as a people, anywhere on the planet, by the way. So we're... Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And Go I ahead. will add to that, that, that we have had, you got to remember these guys, they don't admit it when we beat them, but they have backed off in Los yes. Angeles, in Marin County. We've pushed back the mandates. Um, we've gotten them to slow their roll over and over again. And, and, and so don't expect them to ever admit defeat. No, no. And, and you know what happens with caged animals, right? So <laughs> it, it's, right. it's, it's going to get nastier before it gets better, but we're, we are winning. And we can talk about that when we come back from the break. However, that's where we are right now. So tonight's show is Grassroots Sovereignty. And uh, I am speaking with Jeffrey Pickerel, as is my co-host, Timothy Saunders. And this week, Cynthia is needing to take some time off, but she will return next week. Uh, So we will be back right after the break. One of the ways that this organized crime system has been able to monopolize the media and has been able to uh, control the government and control perception on a wide scale is because it's the banks at the core and they've been given the privilege of creating money out of thin air using a technique called fractional reserve banking. 
where the central banks backstop the money center banks to create money out of thin air. So when you go to get a loan, whether it's a mortgage or a car loan, that's not depositor money that they're loaning you. Uh, they just credit your account with some dollar credits and you're off to the races. And then you spend the rest of your life paying interest on a mortgage that somebody created out of thin air. And that's the reason why the bank is the largest building in every city on the planet. Because they're making outrageous profits by getting to loan money at interest that they created out of thin air. This is Etienne de la Boissy Squared, the author of Government, the Biggest Scam in History, Exposed. And some of my favorite conversations are the ones that I have on the other side of the news. With Timothy, Anetta, and Kinthia. Thank you for doing what you do and providing the service that you provide. Welcome back. You're listening to our show, Grassroots Sovereignty, and our guest is Jeffrey Pickrell this morning, this night, depending where you are on the planet. Well, I have a question. Uh, maybe I can put to both of you. That is, in the beginning, you were, um, what can I say, you, you're describing a, demo, a democratic system as actually more like mob rule. So with the sort of huge amount of programming and inversions that people go through today in terms of what they understand, what government represents, what conservatives, what Labour in the UK, what Republicans and Democrats uh, and, you know, stand for in different countries around the world. In this democratic setup, is that not very difficult then for Republicans to win? I mean, it sounds such an obvious question, but I mean, how, do you, how does that work? If it is mob rule, how, how do Republicans ever get in? I think there's maybe a little confusion there between what Republicans are and republics. Um, Republicans, well, let's, let's take that to pieces then. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, because Republicans are not the same as a republic. It just happens to have a similar language. What's interesting about that, uh, historically, the Republicans have been what is called the liberal party. Um, and I think that's equivalent to what goes on in the UK, I believe. I don't know for sure. It certainly is the can in Canadian terms. Um, and it's interesting because if you look at the, the historical uh, data on the Democratic Party, it is not the party of uh, tolerance, etc. It was really it's really they're the, the the party that found the Ku Klux Klan things like that the Republicans were actually the opposite so it's really 
very interesting because as with most of what we're seeing going on with the ruling class or the elites or whatever you'd like to call it, the inversion of the language right down to the parties um, claiming that the Republicans are are one way, they're the racist and, and all that, which is actually uh, historically and also current um, viewpoints are, are quite the opposite of that. So that's one thing. So, and as far as the Republic goes, and I think Jeff would probably be better at this, but uh, as far as the Republic goes, uh, that is the form of government, not a political party. Um, and so, yes, there's an aver- inversion and an adversion to it that's because we've, we've, we've been programmed so heavily. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what I, I, I kicked off with. I mean, you would think <laughs> if you follow... If you if you know if you uh, follow the Republican Party, it's something you may believe in a republic. I mean, I know I'm being horribly naive in this obvious question, but do you think there are people that go through life that, that understand this? I mean, seriously, do they understand it or do they not understand it? Uh, well, I mean, do they just say an elephant? Do they see red and blue? Do you know? Do they even think beyond this? I mean, is is the mind control that that deep? I think that Jeff, Jeffrey, you could answer this, but my opinion is it's super deep. What do you think? I think it is. I think the misunderstanding uh, is fundamental because both parts are important to understand our form of government. We have a republic, but it's a democratic republic, which means the power comes from the bottom, not the top. And, um, uh, you know, again, with that comes all this responsibility. Um, The safeguards are in place as long as the people retain the power and not otherwise. Um, so yeah, I think this is, this is the big, big move that, as you said, mass non-compliance from the beginning of the so-called COVID disaster, um, would have ended it. It would have ended it in no time. Um, but people went along, you know, not, not understanding their own power and having been manipulated now for years, really. Well, also the power—the difference between a mandate and a, and a law—that's that, that's one hundred and one, isn't it? But I mean, do you want to talk? Yeah, well, about- the, which a mandate is effectively amounts to rule by decree, and so then we're back at the you know the divine um, right of kings. But it, it's funny because you're right. The misnomers around dem, you know the Democrat and Republican question are are crazy, but. Classic liberalism is much more what you know the the republic is based on. Um, what is interesting now is that the Democrats moving towards this communist uh, model is much more like the idea of what a pure democracy ends up being anyway. <laughs> so in a way, they're kind of apt. Yeah. Well, you know there there is. Um with this this discussion around the the republic and um and versus these other forms of government i mean i i think this is a big part of the problem uh for for everyone uh especially like someone who's looking at it from from the outside and and also americans i mean honestly i didn't grow up knowing the difference and i thought that the the democrats were the, the liberal party but if you look at classic liberalism no it's the it's the republicans they've inverted everything and it's been we've we really have had it educated out of us, just like 
just like the government, the power is with the people. Uh, it's from the bottom up. So all of these things, is, so you start to look at it, and I think that maybe one of the wisest ways to look at this is to, uh, two things, to maybe take everything that you're being told and look at it uh, in a mirror, look at the mirror image and see if that doesn't make more sense. That's one thing. Really question it, do your research, question everything. I mean, that's the most valuable skill. And then the other thing is uh, Black's Law, a Black's Law Dictionary. Uh, you know, a mandate, oh, there's a bunch of things about this, but the, one of the main tenets of a uh, mandate is it has to be agreed upon by both parties. I never agreed to any mandate. Every time I went into a store, oh, well, that's that's the law. Well, first of all, it's not a law, okay? I have to explain this to everybody. Now, I lost a lot of battles, right? But I'm telling you, every single time, no. That, that's not a law. It's a mandate. And the mandate doesn't apply to me because I haven't agreed to it. It's not a law. You know, going through this over and over again, if we had all had that knowledge in our back pocket, none of this would have happened. And so I really think it comes down to this idea of, of people understanding, having the education, taking the time and becoming um, interactive with, with our, our government, which is us. Well, you know, that's really interesting that you say, because the people who did challenge these mandates on legal grounds were Mm -hmm. prevailed for the most part. I mean, um, you've got churches that remained open. Yeah, they they levied fines. But are those are those fines going to stand up in court? I doubt it. Mm. Um, You've got the preacher in Los Angeles County that stayed open, was levied a bunch of fines and um, won won a landmark case in which the county and the state paid his legal fees even. Uh, so that was over three. And then, and then individuals, you know, you, you notice that almost no sheriffs or law enforcement have enforced any of these mandates. Mm-hmm. It's all been the rule of the mob. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and most of the sheriffs that I talked to in law enforcement were opposed to what was happening and, and, and swore that they would not enforce any any such mandates, even in places like Berkeley and Santa Cruz. And, and I don't know about San Francisco, but certainly Marin County, the sheriffs were opposed to uh, to the mandate. So any serious challenge that was mounted, even if it was by a few people, was successful. It was also interesting because it gave rise, in at least in the United States here, and I don't know uh, if it, you know, if there was an equivalent to this in other countries, but uh, people did go back and start really. I mean, this is the first time I've ever heard anybody interested in discussing the Constitution because you know nobody wanted to talk about it with me before. I can tell you, uh, and you know, we also saw uh, constitutional counties. So re- remember those two that that came up early on out in Nevada where the sheriff said, no, we're a constitutional county. We're going to follow the Constitution as it's written. We're going to follow our state Constitution and then the federal. And by the way, it's the state Constitution first and then the federal. Um, so they they did that. And uh, I, I, it brought rise to this whole movement of looking into this because it was always just kind of this thing. Oh, I have I have First Amendment rights. Well, what does that mean? Well, we now know what it means because we know what censorship is. <laughs> I remember, you know, uh, watching the Chinese years ago get censored. I was horrified. No one else seemed to really care, but it was like, oh, my God, this is just really bad, right? 
I never, ever, ever in a million years could imagine that the, the same thing would happen in this country because I figured I had a constitution that protected me. But only if the people defend their constitutional rights, only if they recognize and acknowledge them. So that's where we are. No? That's right. And I mean, it's a strong word to use, but the word really is enforcement. You know, and it's more than standing up for our rights, it's enforcing them. And that is what the sheriff is charged with doing. Um, I try to tell people, hey, you'd, you'd be surprised what's happening in California. Uh, the city of Oroville, California, declared itself mm. by resolution a constitutional city. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm not sure how, you know, that's playing out in real time. Um, but they basically stated their values and they said that they will not enforce any policy um, or mandate that contravenes the Constitution. Right. Right. And so, so now, you know, maybe it's up to really <clears throat> educating the sheriffs, especially, but all law enforcement, you know, on the nature of the constitutional rights and their duty to uphold them as the supreme law of the land. Uh, and then when, you know, you've got these mandates that fly in the face of them, it's their responsibility under their oath to say no. Well, you know, this is so the oath part's really interesting. Uh, we we did a interview, the um, second interview with Mickey Klon, and we were talking about bonds for the wind, and they were, you know, people, all of these people, the, the government officials, uh, everybody from the school board, the the police officers, judges, all of them take an oath, and then they also have a a bond, which is a form of their insurance. And uh, so now, you know, a lot of people are learning to challenge them and say, well, you've taken this this oath and you have to uphold the oath. And uh, like I like I said in the earlier part, uh, if you take an oath to serve the American people, that doesn't include selling yourself out to the World Economic Forum or the WHO or any of these other things. It means, you know, working for the people. And as as the people, we can enforce the oaths by literally uh, holding their bonds in as hostage, you know, uh, and and saying, hey, you know, do this or this because you've taken a, a oath to do certain things to protect us and you're doing just the opposite. Um, so I think that's really, really an in incredible thing that's happening. This would have never happened had not all this disaster befallen us from from what we've been through. <laughs> I'm going to put that in a nice way. Uh here in this country, um, but it, but it's worldwide because look at the effect of, um, you know, we had talked about this on a previous show, look at the effect of Biden's decisions, how it affects the worldwide economy by him putting the sanctions on Russia. We talked about this before it actually happened, how it would roll out, what it would do, and guess what? It's doing exactly that because, you know, numbers don't lie. Uh, so, you know, like, for example, where Timothy is, the incredible inflation, and we're watching all these fiat currencies uh, implode. Now, I believe it's totally on cue, and by I know it's by plan, and we've already looked at their plans, but uh, this waking up the entire world about who's really running the world, is, is it's fascinating. And I think the big... Uh, problem we have here is people are looking around going, well, what can I personally do? You know, what is it that I can do? And I think awareness of your, what you have at your disposal is the first and most important step and questioning, questioning everything. <laughs> so 
kind of at the yeah, end of that thought. That, that kind of is a nice segue into uh, what I was intimating earlier that that we really had to change tax. You know, now with the removal of the restrictions and, you know, a lot of people have backed off of the activism. You know, there's no emergency as there was before when, you know, we're faced with mask pressures and mandates and all of these disasters. So a lot of people have cooled off. So my policy now is that I'm not really spending a lot of time trying to get people activated. I'm looking at the people who already are and saying, okay, let's build this together. Let's, you know, and then when the people who are ready to join us want to join, that's great. Because up to now, a lot of people have been coming to be spectators and very few have really jumped in to get their hands dirty. So um, I think we just got to go with a very small percentage of people, the galvanized, you know, percentage that is, is already the boots on the ground and start building it and wait for the others to join us. I think that goes with the meme that I've put up a couple of times, which is, you know, the, the time has passed to wake up the sheep. It's now time to rouse the lions from their sleep. I mean, you know, you're, you, you either are on that site or not, and it's either you're starting to do something with it. Just, you just being awake uh, to what's going on is not enough any longer. You know, we now have to... Um, you know, uh, coalesce our efforts, let's just say, um, and, and get something out of it. Um, I, I think we are, I mean, uh, actually I have a, a sound clip that I had. Let's, let's play that sound clip, Keith. And then, cause there's a bunch of things on there about what's going on and, and the, the insanity. And then let's talk a little bit about that. I never dreamed that I would have to face the prospect of not living in the United States of America, at least not the one I've known all my life. I've never wished to live anywhere else. This is my home, and I was privileged to be born here. But today I woke up, and as I had my morning coffee, I realized that everything is about to change. No matter how I vote, no matter what, I say something evil has invaded our nation, and our lives are never going to be the same. I've been confused by the hostility of family and friends. I look at people I've known all my life, so hate-filled that they agree with opinions they would never express as their own. I think I may have, well, entered the twilight zone. We become a nation that has lost its collective mind. You can't justify this insanity. If a guy pretends to be a woman, you're required to pretend with him. Somehow, it's un-American for the census to count how many Americans are in America. Russians influencing our elections are bad, but illegals voting in our elections are good. It was cool for Joe Biden to blackmail the president of Ukraine, but it's an impeachable offense if Donald Trump inquires about it. 20 is too young to drink a beer, but 18 is old enough to vote. People who have never owned slaves should pay slavery reparations to people who have never been slaves. People who have never been to college should pay the debts of college students who took out huge loans for their degrees. Immigrants with tuberculosis and polio are welcome, but you'd better be able to prove your dog is vaccinated. Irish doctors and German engineers who want to immigrate to the U.S. must go through a rigorous vetting process, but any illiterate gangbangers who jump the southern fence are welcome. $5 billion for border security is too expensive, but $1.5 trillion for free health care is not. If you cheat to get into college, you go to prison, but if you cheat to get into the country, you go to college for free. People who say there is no such thing as gender are demanding a female president. We see other countries going socialist and collapsing, but it seems like a great plan to us. 
Some people are held responsible for things that happened before they were born, and other people are not held responsible for what they're doing right now. Criminals are caught and released to hurt more people, but stopping them is bad because it's a violation of their rights. And pointing out all this hypocrisy somehow makes us racist. Nothing makes sense anymore. No values, no morals, and no civility. People are dying of a Chinese virus, but it's racist to refer to it as Chinese even though it began in China. We're clearly living in an upside-down world where right is wrong and wrong is right, where moral is immoral and immoral is moral, where good is evil and evil is good, where killing murderers is wrong but killing unborn babies is a-okay. Wake up, America. The great unsinkable ship, Titanic America, has hit an iceberg, is taking on water, and is sinking fast. Speak up. Well, I can imagine she makes lots of friends when she goes out. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, but wouldn't it be great to have a conversation with someone like that? Hmm? What do you think, Jeffrey? <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. I mean, you know, it's hard enough to deal with the confusion that's being thrown out us day after day after day and the mind scrambling. But for somebody to describe it that well, I just, I, I salute that. <clears throat> you know, it is a time when everything's been turned upside down and confused and everything we thought was black is white and white is black. And, it, you know, um, it's intentional. But this is where I wanted to put in this plug about, you know, the spiritual component of this fight, what we're doing. You know, when we talk about spirituality, what do we really mean? And to me, spirituality is how we define what it means to be human. And so for me and for so many people I know who got really active, it started with a prayer. You know, it started with a moment of desperation. It was like, oh, my gosh, the world is going down the tubes. My world is going down the tubes. I don't know what to do about it. And in that moment, reaching out and saying, please help. I want to do something. Please tell me what to do. And out of that comes an idea, you know, and recently, you know, people like Ed Dowd, you know, who's, you know, multi-billion dollar stock uh, pro, um, uh, portfolio manager, you know, came out much the same way that he saw what was happening and he was desperate. He made a prayer and then he got an idea. And now he's teaching millions of people uh, the, the financial reality of what's going on. So, Everybody's got a piece. I think we got to find it from within. We can't find it from watching what other people are doing, but we can get inspired. But I think for each person, there's got to be a spiritual component here. I, I, I would agree. I think that we're ultimately, this is a spiritual battle. And I, I'm not talking about religion. Um, I think they're all going to go down the, the chute. Okay. Um, if you ask me, that's where they belong. But I am, uh, when I say spiritual, you know, this is about good and evil, about uh, belief and, not, and non-belief as far as um, that, we, that we, it's not just random, that everything matters, everything counts. Uh, there, it is, you know, there is a, a divine spark in humanity and we are, and that's why we're born sovereign. That's why our, our founding fathers said we're sovereign beings. The fact that we're born as a human uh, and we're, we're a spirit having a physical uh, situation here, <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, experience, I guess that's it. Um, you know, we have this, we have this, not only this incredible opportunity, but we also have this responsibility to take care of things, to uphold all of this. And I think that this time in, 
you know, in, in the world, I would say our country, but no, it's worldwide phenomenon. Um, that's what we're living through, which is, as far as I am aware, no other time in history has been like this one. Uh, now, no matter how many civilizations we've been lied to that have been here or have not been here, right? So I guess that's, I, I kind of ran out of that thought. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're living, and it, I think it's overused, but I think it's, it's underused at the same time, which is unprecedented times. That's right. That's right. I, I agree that we're seeing, you know, the breakdown of all of the institutional religions, all of the institutions that we almost defined ourselves as, or by at least, you know, the religions and the uh, political organizations, the regulatory agencies, all the things that we counted on. Um, the justice system, the so-called justice system. And so now we're stripped naked and we have to define ourselves by something very different, by something very personal. Um, my own church, you know, in, in my mind, lays in ruins to this day because of the last two years. And I've had to really reckon with that and find my own practice in relationship with God on my own terms uh, and by my own merits. And um, it, it's been really hard. You know, because I want to share that experience with other people, but I see that the old paradigm's falling apart. And so, as we depart from you know these structures that are crashing, I think it's really important that we preserve what was good about those institutions in some way in what we're bringing forward. And we and that we, again we build the new paradigm in our actual lives. You know, here in the Bay Area, uh, my sister has just started a, a medical clinic in San Francisco that's going to offer real medicine with integrity as a private membership association. And uh, it, she's going to be employing medical professionals who got fired from hospitals for not taking the job. So we believe we start right here uh, with what we're doing and we take our communities back. Okay. So I'm going to break you off right there. We're going to come back on taking our communities back about right now we're at the break. So tonight, our guest is Jeffrey Pickerel, and our title of our show is Grassroots Sovereignty. Uh, I am uh, Anetta, co-hosting with Timothy, and this week, uh, Kinthea is needing to take a break. We will be back right after the break. Take a look at what is going on with us now. You have vax or no vax. You have mandates or no mandates. You have uh, pharmacies who are not allowed to make a pres prescriptions on substances that they don't, you know, <laughs> that big pharma doesn't want them to have anymore. Somebody's in control of something. There's going to be a time, follow the money, where you're going to say, hey, Something really inappropriate's gone on here. We're being controlled. I mean, it's it's one thing to to have mandates and all these, and another thing to shut people up who say, "I would like to talk about this a little bit." No, you don't. You're not going to talk. And and so we have, uh, you know, people like uh, Dr. Mercola being shut down. That is not us. That's not how we operate. People ought to at least be allowed to have an opinion and state the opinion. 
and and have uh, say uh, I'd like you to know that a good immune system is going to help you. So here are the things for a good immune system. But I'm sorry, you can't buy them anymore because we're not allowed to. So something's going on. So that, my friend, is going to be exposed. That's another thing that you're seeing for a while, and it won't last forever. So it's there now. But believe me, it ain't going to stay because the light's going to be turned on. Just like the, the abuse of the, uh, that I've just talked about of both women and kids for priests and all, it's here in an ugly way, and eventually it's going to be seen. Brian says there'll be revelations, there may be even a movie about it. It's going to be the same thing that happened when we found out with tobacco. That they were, of course, addicting our children and they had a cartoon and they knew that it caused cancer. And you know what happened with that. We shut that, basically shut that down and now we don't smoke anymore. Hi there, this is Lee Carroll. I want to tell you about the other side of the news. In these days where we're not really hearing much good news or perhaps even what's really happening, that's where the other side of the news is different. And in that, you're going to hear not only controversy, but you're going to hear great things. There are going to be joyful things, too. I just got done with one of the broadcasts, and I encourage you to take a listen with myself and Monica. But the other side of the news, that's what we need more of in these times. Welcome back. You're listening to The Other Side of the News. And tonight's show is entitled Grassroots Sovereignty. Jeffrey Pickrell's with us. Annette is in the background just for a moment. And Kinti is taking a break this week, unfortunately. She'll be back very soon. I hope everything is well with her. Uh, Jeffrey, one of the things you were just talking about just before the break was you know, how the people can empower themselves. I understand that you've been... Uh, very recently involved in some form of uh, demonstration. Is that something you'd like to explain, tell us about, tell us, you know, why you feel passionate about it, what the goal is, what you hope to achieve, what you did achieve? Absolutely, yeah, thank you. Uh, well, this was kind of the beginning of the course of action that sprung from that, that prayer, I got active as, you know, a community member in and around the Bay Area, kind of looking for who else was paying attention, who else was not going along with, with what we were being told uh, and led to do. And so as a result, I met Marin Freedom Rising, which was a very active community in Marin County. And I was very inspired by their unity, but there wasn't much action going on and i suggested you know that we start to get involved with the board of supervisors locally that and we started to get a really big attendance um and so you know just addressing all the the elected and unelected public officials uh got me to start advocating and learning how to do that um and to, to kind of teach it to other people as well uh, where that's gotten me now is, again, this whole new career path up to this point. Um, I've been a construction professional. I do um, home improvements and uh, commercial electrical work. and um, But now I'm, I'm looking at kind of a whole new career path and a whole new uh, trajectory in my community um, as a result. So 
it's a, it was interesting that standing up and using my voice led me to a much, much greater sense of purpose, uh, as well as a clarification of my own values. And that has probably been the greatest gift of this whole crisis uh, for me. That's excellent. Anessa, are you back? Would you like to continue? I, I am back. Yes, thank you. Uh, so I, I actually was talking to Kinthea earlier today about exactly that, how people have had total life changes from this situation, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, things have happened. But one of the things I've noticed is there's a lot of people that, A, well, there's two different things. Uh, one is because people had time off from their day-to-day grind that they never, you know, they were just so in the groove they couldn't think of anything else. When they were taken out of that for whatever reason, you know, they were furloughed or whatever happened to them, many people had a change of what they were going to do and became much more oriented towards what they wanted to do versus what they had just fallen into. And I thought that I think that's such an interesting thing. Uh, besides that people became much more aware of what was going on in the world uh, and much more politically active um, and, and doing a lot more research. The other thing that I noticed was, uh, and, and I think you probably are seeing this too, and that is that many people that there's so much talent and there's so many people that have what I call big brain, big brain people, you know, uh, people that have all kinds of things that they can bring to humanity, uh, whether it be intellect or the arts or um, gardening skills or whatever it is that they are actually starting to really bloom and flourish. Now, I have a different, you know, I have a, a theory around this that they have been suppressed and repressed by the powers that be that have not allowed, uh, you know, George Carlin said, it's a big club and you're not in it. Uh, now that this club is being taken down, and I truly believe that it is, um, that you're starting to see this talent and uh, enthusiasm and everything else come out of people that, have been completely repressed. And this is, I don't think the, I don't think the powers that be had this in their plan. I'll say, have you, what, what's your view on that? Um, I would, I would state it exactly the same that um, with the exception that maybe they even did know, you know, maybe the bad guys of the world really are crying out for the good guys to take over in some weird way. But I think that the intention of spirit in this whole, you know, grand play that we're involved in is our betterment. It's for us to understand both our responsibilities and our our inheritance, you know, the, the wonder of our inheritance. We've seen in my lifetime the degradation of society, the waste of so much natural resource, and the greatest of those has been human resource. I mean, look at the talent, as you said, that has just gone wasted under this tyrannical financial system that has cheated us of all, all of us, you know, of our, of our resources and of our inheritance of freedom. Uh, really important for us to remember that that freedom comes um, as our birthright. Right, which means we can't lose it. <laughs> well, unless you no, do something. And I think we're destined to win. As you said, I'm hopeful of that, too. I think that the big illusion is coming down, that it's being exposed. And it's very hard to watch. It's very hard to witness. Mm-hmm. Um, because 
because we're watching people that we love make really bad decisions that they're going to have to live with. And um, in the meanwhile, we have to build our courage. We have to, we're forced to respond to this great evil. And so that's bringing out our very best, you know, for those of us who, who are taking the courage and lifting our heads up and standing up. Yes. Well, you know, uh, I think what we're seeing here is the, the people that maybe that would not have stepped forward. They're really stepping forward with a lot of force now. Um, another thing that I, you know, I used to think about this all the time and that was about the voter, the election problems. It wasn't just the elections that were a problem and the corruption that was there. It was the whole nomination process and how that works and the money and everything else. I mean, it's completely a rigged game. It's even more rigged than I imagined when I started with this, which is a long time ago. But the depressing thought for me was, how do we ever fix this? Because we have the the foxes guarding the hen house. We have the legislative branch, which is how they got in there and they're corrupt. They're not going to reform voters, uh, regulations and nominations and all that, if, if that's how they got in. What's amazing to me, and this is truly amazing, is what we're watching is this whole thing be disassembled right in front of our eyes. The Durham situation with that is, is that's exactly what that is. That will, that thing's bringing down the entire uh, house of cards. And it's a huge, it's huge. It's connected to everything. It's connected to Epstein. It's connected to Ukraine. It's connected to all the corrupt money. I mean, I know this because if you follow the money, you know this. Because it, all the money trails um, uh, blend together <laughs> underneath there. So they're, they're all running it the same way. It's the same small group of people that are doing all this. So uh, it's really exciting because I used to be really depressed about this. Like, how, we ever, how are we ever going to fix this situation? And now, miracle of all miracles, no matter how difficult this time is that we're going through, and I'm not having a good time. Believe me, I'm not. I think most people are not. <laughs> but the things are changing that, that previously I would believe never could. And I think that's amazing. I think it's just amazing. So, um, well, and, and, you know, the voter question is a big one. Um, the biggest blow <clears throat> to my team's morale was after the recall election, a so-called recall election of Gavin Newsom, which mm-hmm. was an outright steal. And yeah. we we knew it. There was nothing we could do about it, or seemingly so. And now we're looking down the pike at this year's election going, what do we do? Mm-hmm. So I'm interested actually to hear from you, Netta. Um, I know a lot of people that are working both in courts and, you know, being poll watchers and trying to prepare and get new secretaries of state elected. Um, how, what connection do you see between this trial and specifically the voter integrity issue, the Durham trial? The term chart. Okay. Well, uh, it's exposing. So it, it's exposing the corruption from all the way boiling up. So the initial, so the first two charges were brought against these two very, in, in the whole scheme of things, minor players. And even Sussman is not that big a player. Okay. So he's nibbling from the outside going in, but, the, but there was a, narrative that was created and that's all it is a a fictitious narrative that was created to sway elections just like we had a fictitious pandemic that 
swayed a lot of things, including the elections. I mean, it's it just like that thing was huge, right? It still is. And it's not like it was because it's still going. But so w- what we're going to see is how they've manipulated everything, because as these people are exposed and it is it is treason and it is sedition. And I will remind everyone the punishment for treason in this country is death, period. End of story. OK, the other thing that we have to look at is that fraud initiates everything. That's a maxim of law. It doesn't go away. It's it's, you know, been around for you know, nearly a millennia, uh, at least. And, and that is, so anything that's done in these times where there's a fraudulent anything, and all of these elections have been fraudulent, by the way. So we can literally roll back and reverse everything all the way back, which is, brings us back to this place where we have to totally rebuild and restart and rethink everything that we've done. And that's like, wow, okay, I never thought about doing any of this. I think most people never thought about doing anything having to do with government. And government, in my opinion, after, at the end of this, uh, when all this is taken down, and I do believe it's being taken down, um, it, it will be very small compared to what we've been used to because there's no reason for all of this. We don't need all these people to tell us what to do. People basically know what to do, and there's common law, and common law basically says, yeah, it's uh, following the golden rule. So there's not a lot there as far as, you know, we don't have to have all these regulatory things. So how is it directly related? I think it shows the very, uh, how they've, starts from the beginning, like how they manipulated, how they move things into place, and as it goes on, they'll see, they'll see more and more pieces. I think that the average person, American or not, if they saw the entire picture all at once, they, they just it would knock them out. They could never come back from it. It's so bad. It's so corrupt. It's so disgusting what, what's going to be revealed. Absolutely foul, disgusting stuff that I don't think people could handle it if it was all in one big lump. And on top of that, I think that the, the genius in, in, the, in the Durham case is to... Um, bring in the small fish and keep getting bigger and bigger. It's it's a uh, you know how how the big fish eat the small fish. It's one of those things. Does that answer that at all, or am I still? It does. That, that okay. that's helpful. Yeah, I, I know legal people, lawyers and non-lawyers that are working on this issue, um, that are trying to establish to that you know to to prove criminality, you have to show like negligence or um, malice and damage. Uh-huh. And so to show that real damage happened from one of these elections at a local level or even at a state level, uh, it's pretty close in Arizona. They've got, um, they've got a lot of evidence there, a lot of forensic evidence. You know, maybe we can get there that way. I hope the courts will give us some relief. Um, that seems to be the one area it's it's yet to be determined if the courts are going to do anything to challenge what's been going on um and and if so you know maybe we can restore a a fair vote maybe we can recall some some elections and and start over well Um, yeah i think we're pretty close you know why because there's a lot so 2000 mules came out everybody should watch 2000 mules uh and and show it to to anyone you can uh, it's it's vitally important, and the reason you know it's super important is they've done everything they can to repress and suppress its release. 
They don't want you to see it. It absolutely beyond any shadow of a doubt, which I never had because I saw a lot of this stuff, you know, in the days that followed the, uh, the, the real insurrection, which was November 3rd of 2020. <laughs> um, not the protest to it. So, but this uh, election situation, we, we must look at it and, and resolve it. So uh, the 2000 mules is one aspect, one out of, you know, if you're looking at a business that's online, you're looking at all the ways you can monetize it. So there's 40 ways to monetize it. Well, there's more than 40 ways that they affected the vote and did th- these things. That's what get grabbing the bullhorn and exposing Twitter for what it is, how they manipulate people, how the algorithms work, how they stuff ballots, how they get dead people to vote. All of this stuff we've kind of heard about on the fringes is all going, it's getting exposed. I believe that both Georgia and Wisconsin are very close to decertifying. Once one state decertifies, it's a domino effect. Then we go into the situation where we've got, um, you know, fraud officiates everything. So we have a fraudulent election. Then it's overturned. The question isn't about that. The question is what's next after they overturn it. But it will literally back everything up so people say well you know how can they back everything up well you can't back up people that that took the jab and died from it you know there's a there's a limit but for what is still available and still out there able to affect let's say uh people coming over the border that aren't supposed to be here especially criminals um you know it's interesting they know how to track those people because they gave them all phones and they all get federal assistance so there's a tracking mechanism to all of that. So do you think you could round up those people pretty easily? I think so. If you wanted to, you could. But, you know, right now they're not motivated to. Right now they're motivated to keep bringing more in. So, you know, when you reverse a decision, uh, a, a vote, for example, it reverses everything you can. And, and, and then the question is, is how do you, who comes in next? Do we have a... Do we stay with this this uh, current government system? I doubt it. I think that we're going to see a total restructure. That's my hope. <laughs> well, I have to say, I agree that the current system is collapsing um, by way of corruption. And something's going to have to take its place. I honestly don't know what that's going to look like. It may not be pretty. Um it may, there's a good chance a lot of people are going to suffer. I think there are people that are preparing, you know, to create something new in the face of a total collapse, you know, of economic systems, supply lines, um, et cetera. Um, and, and what are we going to be working with at that point? I don't know. I don't know if we'll even have to get to that point. So it's it's a really hard thing because it's, it's kind of a moving target. We don't know day to day. We know all these threats that are being thrown around, but I guess the same rule applies. You know, we gotta we gotta plan for the worst and hope for the best and 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 shoot for something in the middle. And that's what I've got so far. But I absolutely uh, am not going to give up. You know, the hope that is that is so alive right now for so many of us. You know, we're not ever going to give up. No, I had to have the worms crawling out of my eye sockets for that to happen. So, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen. 
you know, one of the things that happened is has happened though, like this goes along with a thing of people with, with skill, talent, and otherwise that have been repressed. Another thing that's occurring is, is people are learning how to do things, how to be self-sufficient. They're, they're learning skills that were intentionally, I believe, intentionally not taught to us. Uh, so that's another thing that's happening is people are learning self-sufficiency, um, self-governance, you know, they're not, they're not just completely going along with things, you know, out there. So that's another positive that comes out of this is we have, you know, I think we have huge progress in, in many of these areas. I mean, uh, and I, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm smoking a lot of hopium either. I mean, I look at this, I see lots of things happening. The fact that we're even having these discussions, the ha- fact that we haven't had total and complete censorship tells me that the, the, if we call them the good guys and the bad guys, the bad guys are not in control here. If they were, people like us, would, we would have been rounded up by now. So there is a lot of hope. There's a lot of good stuff that's going on. And we just have to pick up the reins and start acting like the sovereign beings that we were, you know, that we are and, and stop acting like slaves. You know, with that. <laughs> No, that's right. That's absolutely right. You know, it's funny at the beginning of this whole thing, or close to it, uh, listeners might be familiar with Catherine Austin Fitz. Mm -hmm. um, And she's, you know, brilliant um, economic advisor. And, uh, you know, she was talking in the beginning of this thing about, you know, about the hope that we have in this situation um, and that the hope resides in the human spirit and in, you know, looking the situation in the face and, and, and rising up into our potential. Um, what she referred to was that the bankers had called, who orchestrated this whole thing, according to her, have referred to it as the going direct reset. And this is, you know, the consolidation of all world resources into the hands of the very few who then get to dole it out to, to the many. And in actuality, it is a going direct reset, but it's our direct relationship with the earth and with one another instead of reliance on government. You know, people are learning how to garden again. They're finding their properties and finding their water sources and growing their food and creating their communities and learning, you know, how to use tools and out of absolute necessity. And that that probably is the best path to the future. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, 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 like I said, I have a optimistic viewpoint. Um, I, I see it as we've, we've been given this opportunity. I think that there are so many, um, we have so many uh, things going on behind the scenes, but, we have been given an immense amount of, of clues and information and ways to learn and, and benefit from the situation. I mean, I'm going to go so far as to say that uh, I'm not entirely convinced. In fact, I am convinced the other way that this whole election fraud may have been a, intentional in order to let people see what's really going on and have us have an opportunity to correct it. Because as it go, as it was going along, uh, as status quo, it never would have changed. It would have been that co- the continuation of the hen, and it's being guarded by the fox at the hen house. And I, I don't think we would have moved off of that. 
or any of these other issues. So I don't know. Maybe I've got, you know, like I said, rose-colored glasses or something. I don't think so, but um, that's where I stand with it. So Well, anyway. you know, it's funny. We've talked about this many times that it's this egregious exposure of evil that suddenly, you know, we, we can't hide from it anymore. You know, we're, we're being forced in these days to reckon with the reality. And uh, that is going to define who we are probably forever is our response to this. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it goes back to the spiritual warfare, you know, and, and I mean, we, we didn't get into all of the things. Uh, we had a short talk earlier in the day uh, that uh, Jeffrey and I did, and, and we were talking about the, the uh, what I call the voice of God or the, um, was it the skull, the voice to skull technologies uh, the programming, the mind, uh, you know, the brainwashing, all the stuff that's going on. And yet, you know, the human spirit is resilient and many of us are not, are not succumbing to this. So there is great hope that we come out of this actually better than where we started. Uh, and I think that's where we are now. I think, I think that, you know, it's your choice, you know, maybe, maybe the, the reality split, maybe, you know, in the in the quantum world, it certainly could happen like that. You know, so uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't profess to understand it all. <laughs> I don't either. I don't either. But I'm more and more convinced of. You know, this is my destiny. I was born for this. Every all the circumstances in my life led me to this, <clears throat> and that that's true for the other people who are standing up really strong now too. And with that great sense of destiny comes a certainty about things, you know, that however things turn out uh, in my lifetime, you know, I'll know what I fought for in the end. And I will be able to look my grandchildren in the eye, you know, yeah. that, that to me is, is the greatest goal, you know? Well, the story. This will be a story like it's like having a. Yeah, I I have par- I have uh, ancestors that were you know in, in the Revolutionary War and things like that, and uh, you know it's kind of weird that one of those times where it's it's so significant. Um, I think it it will eclipse that. In fact, but uh, I don't know. You know, maybe that's not the right word. But uh, I think we're at that time where you know. Uh, history significant history is being made an unbelievable time to be alive um you know it's overused but it may not be and that is that it's biblical in other words it is just it's it's a of things that we can't even imagine um so we're, we're there with it and you know, it's time for people, you, you got to choo- choose which team you want to be on. Where do you want to be? Where do you want to be in history? Do you want to be able to look your grandchildren in the eye and say you did the right thing? Or do you just sat it out? You know, did you just sit it out or did you, did you, did you do something? Did you put effort in? Um, so I want to, I'm not going to have grandchildren, but you know, what? Uh, I want to say I did the right thing. I want to know that I did the right thing. I want to have that life. So I think we're all at that place of choice. And um, knowing your, if you're in the United States, know your constitution. If you're in Canada, know your constitution. If you're anywhere in the world, know what your rights are and be clear about it so you can stand up to the tyrants. Just know that's your biggest ammo is to know that stuff. Um, and then 
act on it and quit acquiescing. Stop acquiescing. Whatever you do, stop acquiescing because it's making the rest of us miserable. So <laughs> anyway. That's right. That's right. And I, I want to offer something, too, that has given me a source of hope and even joy, some fun lately. Uh, as we've revealed how much we've been lied to about so many things, um, I've had to start to really question almost everything that I was taught since I was a kid. And you hinted in that at a... Um, you know, kind of the stolen history and um, that, you know, we don't know how many civilizations were even on this continent before, before Westerners came or before the current version of history we have was written. And if you really look at it, it seems like we haven't so much been, you know, we're, we're not at the, the height of our civilization by any means. We're actually, it seems like on a big decline from at, la- at least the last hundred years. So what happened? What was before? Did we come from greater things? Um, did we have greater technologies? Did we have a golden age on this planet that was hidden from us? And there's considerable evidence to suggest that, yes, we did. And there's a whole community of people that are doing this research. And uh, you can go on YouTube and you can, you can find it. Um, you know, just look for Tartaria or Old World or Antiquitech. And uh, there's a lot you can start to dig into to see that actually the history we came from is a lot more glorious than what we're being told. Absolutely. Well, we've come to the end of the show, so I'm going to have Timothy take us out. And thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you. Well, well, thank you. It's been such a pleasure. And thank you, Timothy. And thank you, Annetta, and for everybody who's helped make this happen. And I look forward to a grand future. Thanks. Thanks for all your work. Despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth, you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of respected journalists, writers, politicians, doctors, and activists who are wide awake and already making great impact. All they require from you is to unplug from mainstream and social media propaganda, to make your own independent research and to stop acquiescing, to stand up for what you believe in with respect to others. Remember, you were born with power and you wake up each day with power. It is entirely up to you how you choose to retain or give it away. You've been listening to another live broadcast of the other side of the news. This 99th edition is entitled Grassroots Sovereignty and remains available at the other side of the news.com. My name is Timothy Saunders, and together with Kintia and Annette Driscoll, offer a special thanks to our guest, Jeffrey Pickerel, our listeners, contributors, and our sound engineer, Keith Morgan. We wish you all a very positive week and look forward to reconnecting with you next time. Good night. <laughs>